Hello and welcome back, listeners. It's the American Scouser podcast. We're back again this week. At the time of recording, it's the 8th of February. Uh, it's a Monday night, um, I guess, for all you uh, patriots out there and NFL lovers. We just had the Super Bowl, but uh, we're here to talk about round ball, Liverpool FC. Uh, I'm your host tonight, Jamie. And of course, with me this evening, we've got the loyal crew, the star lineup we have. Of course, our Turkish ambassador for Quebec, our resident defender in charge, member of the Defenders Union, Timuchin. How the hell are you? I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. Waiting to see Kabak in action. So hopefully, yeah, absolutely, right. Only only time will tell. But uh, he he looks good. That's for sure. Next up to bat, uh, there you go. I'm already sprinkling in some Americanisms. Uh, next up to bat is our very own ratings man, our peacock and scheduling guru, and there you have it, Paul, Mister Bickler. How's that for an introduction? Hey, thank you, sir. That was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, last by no means least, the man in the booth, our very own Stockley Park, it's Parker, our very sound guy, Weaver. How the hell are you, mate? What's what's happening, guys? Hope you're doing well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there we have it, folks. We've got the, the star-studded lineup, but we will start, as we started last week, with the LFC, American Scouser News in 60 Seconds. I'm starting to speed up talking now. Of course, we lost to City on Sunday, and that is three back-to-back-to-back losses at home since 1963. And our dear beloved Mr. Shankly then came into charge, and we all know what happened after that. We dominated football until the mid-90s. Well, sorry, early 90s. Excuse me, getting ahead of myself there. LFC Leipzig tie last week, following on from the Muse last last week, uh, is actually being moved to Budapest, Hungary, the Puskas Arena. So that's good news. It's uh, not a, a buy there for us. Um, I was, and following on from Muse last week as well, Liverpool have completed the signing of 16-year-old Cade Gordon from Derby. And another 15-year-old fullback, Callum Scanlon from Birmingham, and a 17-year-old, I'm going to murder his name, centre-back Stefan Bakovic from Celta Vigo. And that's in ties with uh, the 19-year-old Liam Hughes from Celtic, a goalkeeper as well. So four new kids there to talk about. Uh, also in the news, we've got Minamino, who scored on loan at, for his, uh, his loan debut for Southampton, and what a blinder it was. We've got more news as well. Jota is the best in the world at FIFA currently. Uh, 30 and 0, he's gone. Um, and one more little piece of news to, to warm the cockles of your hearts coming up for the internationals. LFC are not needed to release the Portuguese and Brazilian players in our squad for international duty due to COVID rules. So a little bit of news there for you folks, probably in over 60 seconds. But we're going to go ahead and jump right in to the Brighton game. Um, we all know how that one went off. Um, but, you know, we can talk about basically the tactics of that game and, and why it didn't work out for us. Um, Timuchin, why don't you start us off? Just uh, assess the game, um, cast your mind back and, and tell us how you feel. I don't know, through coming back from those back-to-back wins, it almost felt like, hey, maybe those days are behind us and we suddenly back went back to two weeks before then where, you know, we were talking about it on the podcast here that it felt like we were watching the same game over and over again. I mean, I didn't think it was a 
bad. When you look at the stats, it's not. It almost looks like I think I want to say Brighton actually had more shots on goal too, but as well as more shots. I mean, it could have been a totally different game. I think Mo gets that chance, maybe second or third minute uh, from an awesome pass. If he finishes that, we're probably talking about a totally different game. And heck, we might even be talking like a totally different game uh, over the weekend too, if that carried over. But misses the chance, and then the rest was kind of like more of what we're used to, a lot of possession with not a lot of creation. So more frustration, and then Brighton gets there. I mean, it, it's just a freaking lucky goal they got. But, I mean, overall, it seemed like a semi-fair result. Probably draw was like the most fair result, but disappointing. And like I say, we kind of thought after those two back-to-back wins, we were kind of back to our winning ways, and the mojo was back. And then it wasn't really. Yeah, they I mean, you're absolutely right. They, on goal to our well, we only had on one, goal. didn't we? Yeah, we only had one shot, so anything's yeah. going to beat that, really. Um, which was terrible. Um, one <laughs> shot on goal all game. Um, of course, they had some block shots, all that there. But uh, Paul, they started out with a three-five-two, and they later, after they scored, went to a four-five-one. But you know, the the low block, like to Mitchell was saying, you know, kind of West Ham and, and Spurs kind of came at us. They didn't really sit back and, and defend and. They kind of had a go, which kind of plays into our, our system, really. The low block, I mean, talk us through it, Paul. What what the hell do we need to do? Yeah, man, I wish that I knew. I think that um, I was honestly surprised that, like, the way that we set up tactically didn't look like we were giving Trent and Robbo the same license. Re- you Really, Trent the same license that he had the game previously, which I thought was the big difference because, like, you know, Trent gets that goal a game ago off a rebound because he's pulled in centrally in the offensive third of the pitch. Like, in this this match, he never got there because we were we were pulled back so far, and he was playing very conservatively. So I don't really know what the tactical idea was there. I mean, we've had months and months to sort of figure this thing out where teams are. It's not only like a low block, but they're pulling fullbacks extremely wide to take away the overlap. I mean, like, I feel like, you know, traditionally speaking, you beat a low block from the flanks by crossing it in. And I think it hurts us that we don't, our front three is relatively small height wise, but we can't, we're not seemingly, we're not seemingly being able to get it through the middle of the park either. And I don't really understand that because this is the match. I think I was most disappointed in Diago because we brought Diago in to win these types of games and I just didn't feel like he, he really grabbed it by the scruff. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's frustrating to watch. It's frustrating because I thought we had figured it out by just sort of cutting our losses and saying, like, look, we're going to push Trent super far up the right side and we're going to pull a midfielder back to help cover. And if we get beat defensively, we're going to live with conceding goals as long as we're able to put pressure up front. And it seemed like that we no longer committed to that in it's super frustrating because Brighton's the first team this season that originally do this to us. And so to see them just come in and do the same thing again, um, it was kind of a head scratcher for me. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're not wrong. We definitely needed to commit um, as many men forward as we could to, to, to help press, you know, and, and try and beat them on the wed on, on, on the wides uh, on the wide side as, as much as we could. But, you know, I've read stats that have uh, suggested that pressing in general is down over the entire season in, in this league because, you know, it's it's just one of those things where it's 
it's fatigue. It's it's all the short congestion games, two games a week, blah blah blah. But um, talking about the the matchups there on the on the wides, um, you know, Trent was never going to beat uh, what's his man's name, uh, Burn. He's six foot six. You know, I, I kept seeing the the long ball going out to him and. Trent's never winning that ball in the air, you know, and I think that's how they scored as well. So it, it, the ball goes out, uh, he switches it, and Byrne knocks it down to Trossard, and it just seemed to be happening game throughout the game, you know. It, it was just one of those things. Um, but, yeah, like I said earlier on, they, after they scored, they, they switched to the 5-4-1 the and, and really invited that. So having Thiago really pull the strings was very difficult, Um and he certainly hasn't hit the ground running as much as we'd all like. Um, it's difficult to, to see him shine when he's hasn't got his, his fellow best midfielders, you know, hasn't got Fab and hasn't got Hendo there beside him because I truly believe that they would be the the, the midfield three. Wouldn't you Wouldn't you agree, Timuchin? If all things were equal <laughs> and we had Fab and Hendo. I think, yeah, the whole Thiago thing, I, I mean, I've been reading a lot and, you know, holes the ball and stuff like that. I really think it's just bad timing and it's more of a coincidence that the bad run is while he's in there. He's not the reason. He just happens to be there while it's happening because, I don't know, like, he's putting in passes where we're not used to, but I just because we do not trust our defense, we have our probably most attack-minded and forward-playing Heck, player of the season midfielder playing defense. Uh, so we're almost not playing as aggressive as we normally would. There is not that, you know, fearless attacking mode. I mean, we saw it afterwards, you know, in the city game too. It looks like we're going and then, oh, we pull it back. We pull everything back. We recycle. It's almost like we don't want to attack and go at people and turn the ball over and leave the defense not established, not settled. I don't know what it is. I think there was a lot more confidence in going forward when obviously you have Van Dyke and Gomez, two fast guys, two fast center backs back there. And I think there was a lot more, more fearless attacking. Even when they go up top, I feel like it's very conservative. I was the same with Brighton. I was the same with city. You don't see the same, you know, just attack minded going forward thing. And I think that's psychological about like being worried in the back, not, not having handle back up Trent's side shows. I mean, you were talking about the goal and I realized the dude is, looked like he was freaking three times Trent, but you watch that replay of that goal and the like, Trent is literally jogging back and he did not, I don't even think he saw him there initially to be able to, you may not win a ball. I'm a short dude. You may not win a ball, but your presence and your challenge affects what the other guy can do with the ball. It's a lot easier to head the ball when nobody's around you and all you got to do is focus on the timing and, you know, put it exactly where you want it. Uh, even a, you know, a shoulder can kind of like throw off the entire timing, can throw off everything. So he is not there. I mean, I realize the dude is like, like I say, like three times the side or whatever it was. I mean, how the hell did they find that giant? And, yeah. put, and who Peter put that Christ giant in that position? Of all, like, put, who said like, you know what? We should make this guy a winger. But uh, I mean, that was probably the most disappointing part out of that goal. And I think it's just like an overall mindset. It's just kind of like a reflection of the overall mindset we have right now throughout the players. It's just, it's just morale. It's just mojo. Yeah, it, it's definitely hard to take. But, uh, you know, 
in fairness to Trent, he he like we said, he was twice his size. He he was beaten to every uh, aerial duel there was going. Um it was just a very hard day for the team. And you know, we we kind of knew it, like Paul said earlier, and and you know, that they, they kind of threw that gauntlet down to us earlier on in the season. So it's not as if we didn't know that it was coming, but again, you're absolutely right. When you haven't got that confidence with the people at the back, you're not going to be as threatening. You you know, you've always got that inkling in the in the back of your mind that they can go up and, and counter us like they did. But um yeah, you know, we we started with two changes that beat West Ham and, and that was Bobby and uh, Kelleher and Nets. Um and we can talk later on after the city game about um Allison. I'm sure we'll all have something to say there. But um I thought Kelleher done well, and that's not just my nationality being biased. He, he, I think he's a good goalkeeper. Certainly got a, a a long future ahead of him. He's what nineteen or or twenty or something like that. But um, yeah, I mean, we can uh, we can open up the books now, I guess, Paul, and we can talk about the elephant in the room for the Brighton game. Uh, that will be Mister. Oh shit! Um, here we go. Um, yeah, so Rigi, right? I mean, we're going to all, I mean, there's a lot of talk, especially after this game on all the social media about how he's a wasted spot on the team and things like that. Um, I'm not going to go that far, obviously. Um, but there's a lot of discussion about, you know, why he's still at the club, what he brings, etc. Um, and I think that's all fair. Um, Ken Kendra from Olasi Raleigh, um, in, he's also authored a couple books um, that you can find out there. Um, Walk Through the Storm in the Golden Sky. Definitely check that out, you guys, if you want to. You can find it on Amazon or other places. Um, but he wrote kind of a brief little article about Origi after the match and about um, sort of this, this whole idea of scapegoatism at the club, how we seem to want to explain poor form, poor, you know, poor team performances uh, and put it on one person, right? Like how I think he, he, he said something like, is he the new, like, you know, he's the new Dejan Lovren. Like we all used to blame Lovren, which um, personally I like uh, poor man's Pogba better, but um, we could, but <laughs> yeah, but I, I get what he's saying. Maybe we can talk to Ken. We can we can maybe maybe get him to reward that one. Right, right, and, and pay me too. Um, anyway, no, no, I get <laughs> no, I get what he's saying though. I, I get what he's saying. I, I think there's obviously a, a difference between him and Loverin. Uh, but I think you know we've done this with Henderson before. Henderson basically just shut everybody up. Uh, we did this with Alberto Moreno for a time. Um, you know, we have done this with a lot of these players. Um, I, I can remember as far back as putting it on Joe Allen. Um, but, uh, we, we've done this a lot and I think there is some merit to that. Uh, but I don't think the the problem is necessarily as much about, you know, whether Origi is good enough for this team. I think the problem that most people have, the problem that I have is like it, a larger problem that goes back to the squad depth. And I think it's not fair to judge whether FSG or Klopp has done a good enough job getting the squad together because of just the ridiculous amount of injuries this team's had. But I think the major problem, the reason that like there's so much talk about Origi is that the fact that when we need a change in a game, he's been the first name off the bench. And that's a problem because he's had 18 months of just terrible form. 
Um, I, you know, we've talked about whether he's a tactical fit or not. Obviously I don't think he is a tactical fit. Um, you know, I think that he is capable of some, obviously some pretty insane moments. You know, Ken talks about how he's going to be a player that's remembered for the big moments at this club. Um, and that that's not necessarily fair to him because he's just a good, he was originally a good player on an average team that was known for these like super high moments, game winning moments, injury time moments, you know, champions league winning moments. Um, and I think that's fair, but like what I disagree with Ken is he says, uh, not the problem, but I also don't think he's the solution either. And I think we all need to start remembering that. Um, well, I think that is the problem. I think the problem is, is that we're subbing him in like he is a part of the solution when it's been clear for 18 months that he's not part of the solution. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of where we're at. Like, we can talk about this till we're blue in the face and beat a dead horse and continue to talk about this, but it, in the, I think it's highlighted by the fact that Minamino goes out on loan and scores, right? Everybody's going to be talking about that. Obviously, there's concerns about whether Minamino is big enough to, to play um, the physicality of the Prem League. Um, I mean, I think he's going to prove that wrong at Southampton, but I mean, that's where this conversation is going to get interesting as we see what happens with that. Um, I don't know in a team that has depth issues, you know, I think we're seeing the rise of Shaq right now. And we know that, you know, Diego Jota is going to be back soon. And that's probably why Minamino moved, but I think there is room for a discussion on why considering Origi's poor form, that's been going on for, you know, the better part of almost two seasons now. I think, you know, it's a difficult one when we're talking about um, a classic number nine, which Divock isn't a classic number nine. You know, we always talk about how he drifts out to the left and, or sorry, plays out on the left and comes, then dribbles in. Like he, he's not a classic number nine, but I don't necessarily think um, Ken's wrong in what he's saying. He, he's not, the problem i don't think he's the solution either um but yeah I, I, having a classic number nine in in this current setup i just feel like and, and you know ken's not the only one that's mentioned it i see it mentioned in a lot of discussion forums you know let's let's get a classic number nine let's get somebody like and you know if if money prevailed you know holland would obviously be the uh the typical well not the typical but he he would be a mix of both worlds you know he he's kind of tall, kind of strong, good, good with his head, good with his feet. And, you know, Jota is taller than, than Salah and Mane and probably Bobby too. But, you know, we play a lot of balls into the box last year that got headed in and, and got volleyed in. It's not that, it's not that the crosses aren't working. Well, the, the crosses aren't working. That's a fact, but it's not that they haven't worked in the past. Like, they can work. Um, so I, I don't necessarily think that, lumping a, a six foot something striker into the middle is necessarily the answer. I mean, Tamuchin, tell, tell us where you stand. I mean, here's the thing with Divac. I mean, I agree with Ken. I don't think he's the problem. I mean, when you look, you're like, like, Oh my God, things are not going well. Cause we got Divac here. Uh, what I thought was really odd in that Brighton game was him being coming into the game before Curtis Jones. First of all, that was kind of like shocking to me that, Jones did not come into like the last 10 minutes if you're looking for an impact. The thing is, you know, when you have squad players, you know, when things are not going well, I mean, we're all doing the same thing, right? We're looking at the bench and seeing, hey, who can come in and make a difference? And how many times have we hoped, based on what he has done in the past, you know, Divock is that guy. And he has 
come in and really has not given anything. And I understand, you know, when I read Can't Speak, it's kind of odd because I agree mostly, but not in certain things. I just feel like he has not progressed. And I, I feel like he might do better because he does well when teams play a higher line and he's going to make that run. The dude is fast. He can go. I mean, you know, he has a good shot and he can take people on on the dribble. But I agree when he says confidence was a big part of it. I mean, he's a goal scorer. The guy knows where to be. He can kind of like sense things. But his position is kind of like an unknown. Like, does he play on the wing because he's fast? Should he be in the middle? I mean, honestly, if the guy was not tall, would you even consider him to be in the middle ever based on his playing style? You probably would not. Just because he's tall, you you know, we assume he should be a nine or maybe he should be in the middle and stuff like that. But really, he does not play his size. His, I mean, his probably like, you know, the speed. So it's just frustrating to kind of like constantly have him come in in the hopes that we're going to go back two years back in time and he's going to be able to actually provide something off the bench and it just does not happen. And I know, you know, one thing I, you know, I saw in the article and for a lot, you can say this for a lot of goal scorers that some of the goals they score may not be like wonder shots. And you're like, oh, wow, man, nobody else can do that and stuff. But, I mean, how many go? I mean, think of Rush. How many tap-ins has Rush had? You know what I mean? And yeah. how many, like, simple headers has he had in? There's something about goal scorers that they can sense. They know where to be. You got to be there to be able to tap that ball in. You got to make that run. You got to sense that the ball is going to go there off of a rebound. I think I talked about this before. I remember vividly still, and I was pretty young. And I'm freaking old now, so you got to figure it's like a long-term memory. But I remember watching a game where a shot comes in. The opponent's goalie, like, saves the ball, but it kind of, like, coughs it up, like, you know, like, kind of like a deflection. And there's nobody on the screen, and you kind of knew Rush would suddenly appear out of nowhere to tap that in. And it's just like, you know, a goal scorer knows to be there. And I thought earlier on as we watched Divac get that header in, that freaking, I mean, it's a pick for fuck up is all it is, but you have to be there. Sturridge is somewhere around there too, but he's not where you should be. And Divac is in that goal. I mean, same thing in other things, you know, like the, you know, the goal he scored against Barcelona, that is not an easy shot. That corner taken quickly. That is the great finish. That ball is coming in fast bouncing and he just like nails it in. So you see, you saw all these goals of the potential of what he could be. And he just never ended up being there. So I think he kind of almost like teased us. We expected more and more and more. And instead we got less and less and less. And that disappointment kind of reflects back. I think everybody like starts complaining about it. And like Bickler is saying, some fans just want one person to blame. And when Lovren went, somebody had to pick up the flag. I mean, regardless of what happened, it could be Trent losing his guy. It was Lovren's fault. It could be freaking Van Dyke out of position. It'll be Lauren's fault. So now it's probably not fair to blame Divac for not, you know, scoring or coming in and making a difference and stuff. But I think it's very clear that he's just not the solution and it's time to move on. We keep kind of like pounding ahead on the wall. It's just not happening. It's time to move on and get somebody. And I think we did with Diogo, like somebody who can come off the bench. Yeah, and, and I, I think Ken talks about that'll be but, less of a conversation probably because the minutes won't be there when Jota's back. But I think there is exactly. I think there is some like legitimacy in the frustration, which I don't say very often because I generally think people like 
people in general on the U.S. support group page, their opinions, for lack of a better term, usually suck and are usually uh, they're, they're usually <laughs> emotional hot takes off the back of a win or a loss, and they're obviously worse during a loss. But I think there is some legitimacy in the frustration because if Ken, what Ken's saying is right, and I think it, I think it is. He's not the solution, but he's also not the problem. If he's not the solution, I think most of us would love to see Klopp not treat it like it's the solution by making it the first substitution off the bench every match. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a difficult one, and the whole scapegoatism thing is bullshit in and of itself. You know, they've they've tried to do it with Thiago, and even pundits are getting involved. Um, I actually read a good piece by Danny Murphy saying that Tiago, that this problem that's leveled at Tiago that he's slowing the game down is bullshit. Um, and yeah, he hasn't hit the ground running, but he, he's joined a new team, joined a new system, been injured, been out. You know, the, the English league is a much different league than the German league. Two both high-quality leagues, but still very, very different. Um, there's an actual, a really great read uh, as well as Ken Kendra's. Do go out there and, and give it a, a quick read. Listeners, it's very good. But um, Paul Tompkins for the Tompkins Times, that's his own little blog, uh, a great writer, uh, and he's done a, a fantastic piece. Now, this piece will take you the best part of 30 minutes to read. It's so in-depth, but it's titled, Like Roy Keane, Are You Too Simple to Understand Liverpool's Situation? And in, in many ways, that's pointing fun at uh, Roy Keane after the City game and his comments. But it's, um, it's very much in line with what we're talking about right now, the sort of hot take culture that gets the headlines. You know, the, the scapegoat isn't bullshit that gets the headlines. It's, um, it's not fully thought out. It's not... And, and that's that's the the whole thing behind it. The, the, if a fully thought out argument wouldn't get the headlines, wouldn't get people involved commenting. It's the hot takes. It's the emotional commenting that gets people involved. And uh, you know, of course, after a loss, we all get emotional. We're 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 kind of entitled to. But you know, take a deep breath. But uh, if you have thirty minutes spare, because it literally will take you thirty minutes, um, guys. I don't know if you have, have come across it. Maybe you possibly haven't. I'm just throwing it on you now. But uh, do take the 30 minutes somewhere throughout the week to read it. Um, Tompkins Times. Paul Actually, Tompkins. I think that's a good point because I just read that article. And yes, it does take a while. Uh, but And it is pretty in-depth. And I think that's why the you know the hot takes that you're talking about, that Bigler is talking about, is a lot easier because a lot of people don't like reading. So, and, you know, it's a lot more common sense laid out, very simple reasons, but that doesn't sell or that doesn't get the clicks. It's a lot easier to, you know, find instead of you know, that might be like a part of the bigger problem and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, that piece is very well written and very detailed, but yeah, exactly why people would rather do the hot take and blame somebody as opposed to just, you know, really look at the reasons behind it because it takes a bit more work. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, realistically, lads, there's not much else to, to talk about the Brighton game. We can move on to, to the city uh, permutations right now. Um, so, yeah, uh, where the fuck do we start? Lads? We, we, we got beat. 
<laughs> we got beat um, horribly <laughs> for all intents and purposes. But, um, you know, Klopp's comments were kind of um, optimistic, which I, I kind of get, I kind of like. We were in the game first half. We could have um, possibly capitalized after the, the Gondolin uh, Ilkay's penalty. Uh, Mare's impression was just horrible. Um, I felt like if we had got a goal then before halftime and, and, or at least got the first goal, we could have, could have capitalized. Um, but instead we, we go one nil down and we're always fighting the game from then on. Um, Paul, what the hell is going on? Are, are we going to, are we going to have to live through this much longer? Uh, God, I, I don't know. I, I hope not. Um, but I think, you know, yeah, we were in the match. I, I think, if we would have scored with our first couple chances, would it have been a different game? Yeah. But I think that can go for like 80% of the matches this year. It feels like it just feels like we've had an inability to capitalize on the chances that we've had, whether it be a poor first touch, you know, just simply missing it. So, I mean, I think that's just par for the course. I mean, I, I just, I feel right now, like city's just miles better than us. And, and I think that's down to, their form coupled with our injury crisis and just a lack of depth. Um, I think the frustrating part is, is that we could have gone away from that game easily with points because I mean, we fought back in and even though we weren't creating much, we were making it difficult for them for, you know, 60 minutes in that game. Um, you know, and then obviously solid does pretty well to draw the pins um, and get it level. And we, I just felt like there were going to be more chances um, and that, you know, we could grind some sort of result out of this, um, whether we deserved it or not. And then just to see the total collapse from Allison was really painful and frustrating, um, to lose it that way. You know what I mean? Because it felt like we, it felt like we beat ourselves, um, really. And I think that's what, that's what hurt. Um, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna badmouth Allison. Um, I know that he was like, wait, well, they said he was out with an illness and then there's some rumor that he had personal stuff with his family going on. I don't know what was happening. Uh, this is what I do know the, I've seen him be sloppy out of the back like that. Obviously I've never seen him make basically four errant passes that are like critical mishits within three minutes. And I've never seen him get beat near post from that kind of range. Um, I mean, it was a good, sh- you know why Paul? Cause he's, cause he's never done them before. <laughs> right. I mean, it was a, it was a great, it was a great shot by Foden. Right. But I mean, we've seen him make like the stoppers Napoli. That was a bullet from like four feet away. Like, I mean, we've seen him, I've just never seen him get beat positionally like that before it, it looked to me like he wasn't all there. So um, I, I don't know what's going on. That was obviously super tough to watch, but I mean, credit to city. They broke us down. Um, you know, I thought Trent had a very good opening 30 minutes. I thought the rest of the match, he was basically a traffic cone for Raheem Sterling. Um, and they just torched us down the side. Phil Foden had a monster game. Gundigan was good getting forward. Like, I mean, they just, they were good and we helped him out substantially. Well, you know, you're, you're not wrong. Like, their form is championship winning form where our, our form is relegation form. And that's, that's I'm not, not sugarcoating that in the fucking slightest. That's the simple fact of the matter. Um, but you mentioned Raheem Sterling. You mentioned Phil Foden there. Uh, I've got to say a few things on both of those players. And then we can, you know, I, I, 
I've got another rumor to add to the Allison mix as well. But first of all, Phil Foden with his lockdown haircut can fuck right off. Yeah, um, I hate that Raheem haircut. Sterling. <laughs> <laughs> Did he do it himself? Who knows? Who cares? Uh, Raheem Sterling, though, um, certainly one player that has never played well at Anfield when there's a crowd there. It noticeably difference, the, the difference in his play because the crowd weren't on his back. He was able to play well, and that's probably the only reason he does play well is because it, the fans weren't there to give him a good, honest stick for the, the absolute snake he is. But... Um, so you, you mentioned the Allison rumors, and I, I did. I have heard another one, which kind of, I don't know why it wouldn't have come out to the media, um, but apparently one of the rumors I've heard is that him and Kelleher had a clash of heads in training, which is why Kelleher wasn't even considered to come on. So even if Allison was sick, or even if there was uh, family issues, which were both rumors that were f- touted around, um, the other rumor kind of makes a bit more sense. Like, if he's sick and, and just recovered, you would imagine that, yes, he might have said, I want to play, I feel good enough to play, boss, let me in. Or, you know, if there was a, a, a horrible family issue, God forbid, you know, touch wood, uh, apparently his wife is pregnant, so apparently everything's well there. But, you know, you could imagine a player like Allison saying, you know, let me play, boss, I'm good enough to play 90 minutes. Um I can kind of see the third rumor where they maybe had a little clash of heads kind of affecting his game towards the end of the game because it certainly looked as if there was a lapse in judgment there. Certainly looked as if he wasn't fully there concentration-wise or something because, like we said, the man just hasn't made mistakes in, in twenty since 2018. You know, I, I really can't think of the last mistake he made. There was that one, was it against Leicester, yeah. where he chips it over his head. Um, there was another one. It was another mistake somewhere, but it, it literally didn't make a mistake last season. So, Tomuchin, I don't know where you stand on the rumors, um, but uh, I yeah, don't know. I mean, rumors are rumors. You know, I, you don't know. I mean, we don't know. I don't know. Maybe it'll eventually come out. Either way, I'm sure he knows. Everybody knows. I mean, he screwed up back to back of all things. I mean, partially we kind of put him in these situations. I think more than I would like us to. Uh, there are times where we play the ball back to him. I think it was the second time when Fab yep. played the ball back to him, whereas he could have cleared it himself too. I think we kind of like kind of push our luck with that a bit. But hey, it's part of the system. I mean, kind of like the risk reward deal. Uh, we do a lot. I mean, we play with him and he's good with his feet and goalies with, you know, who have the ability to pass from the back on our premium now. And there's the reason for that. A lot of teams are doing it. I mean, I hate it personally and worries the heck out of me every time I watch a game. But in most cases, nothing happens. Like, you know, the, you just listed like isolated cases. I remember that Leicester game. I think that like he was fairly new then and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, that was definitely his first season. Yeah. And, you know, like I say, I mean, it's kind of hard to be too critical of a guy who has won so many games for us and probably won, uh, you know, trophies for us with his performances. So it's kind of like hard to kind of like really go at him. I was definitely not happy during the game watching it. It's like, what the hell? But it is what it is. I'm sure he knows. It's not like a surprise. It's not like he's going to be like, no, I thought that was a good pass. So it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, we kind of, yeah, like Bickler says, we kind of beat ourselves and, 
gave him, I mean, gave him the opportunities to score and over and over again. You can't get away with that stuff with City. The, the uh, thing so is with the goalkeepers. Score. I thought the biggest difference was, you know, when you list their players and us. Go ahead. The, yeah, I what mean, was the, that? the life of a goalkeeper is it's it's on a very thin line. You know, you you oh, you yeah. can you can play fantastic your entire career. As soon as you make one mistake, you get called out for it. Um, the mark of a truly great goalkeeper is that you can put that in the back of your mind, and he has done that in the past. So it's it's not as if we're we're throwing him under the bus here. Uh, he he has made mistakes in the past and has just resumed being the, the best goalkeeper in the league from from the get go. You know, so it's not it's not beyond him to to get past this. You know, it's it's all mental in the end of it. Yeah, and that's why you know, like with his based on his past performances, it's kind of like hard to be you know too critical of him. Everybody knows he screwed up. It's no secrets, and it's what it is. We move on, but. I felt, you know, watching that game, the biggest difference was you saw one team full of confidence in form and one team the complete opposites. And, you know, they were aggressive and kind of, I mean, you look at Sterling when he gets the ball. And I agree, it's a huge difference between, you know, getting booed by, you know, a ton of people every time you get the ball as opposed to like just total silence. But um, every time he got the ball, he went at Trent or whoever's in front of him. Whereas we kept recycling the ball back. Whenever they had a counter chance, they kept going at it. We pulled it back, slowed it down, recycled the ball back. And that's really more confidence than anything else. And same thing with scoring. I mean, it's that stuff is contagious. I really think we reaped a lot of the benefits of it last year. I mean, you know, like last-minute goals or... The thing that's probably the most frustrating of this recent run is not having as many chances where you can't say there are games where you watch the game and you're like, Hey, it's coming. We're about to score. It's just a matter of time. I just don't get that feeling as much because we're not playing aggressive as much. I think possession alone, we know now if we didn't before, doesn't guarantee opportunities to score, but that game wasn't the balance. It could have gone either way. I mean, they play a style that suits us. They take chances in the back too. So our counter pressing can work. And, you know, like we can win the ball and create stuff. It's just, you know, those mental errors and individual errors right there cost us the game. I mean, I honestly, I mean, I know we talked about this before off the air, but I thought after the Brighton game, the title chances were already slim, but I still wanted to get a or if not three points out of this game to keep our name in it and definitely make it a lot easier for like the top four and not fall behind in this like mids, you know, three to eight level in the standings and if nothing else confidence i mean the biggest disappointment of this week's games out of brighton and city is i thought after last week's games when we had the podcast and talked about west ham and tottenham i thought the confidence would be back and we saw that no we're still kind of like struggling and there are a lot of reasons for it but you know make no mistake about it confidence and momentum is a huge part of it i think yeah, it's, it's hard to argue with that. Um, it's uh, it's evident, you know, that when we, we, we can go away to to London teams and, and they want to play against us, then we get home and we kind of lose our balls. It's, it's crazy, really. Um, but, Parker, I think you've got a couple of uh, little trivia questions for us by any chance. Yeah, so first one is a true question uh, regarding the Brighton match. 
And obviously, besides this week, when was the last time uh, Brighton beat us? And you can just give me the year, and I'll call that good enough. You don't have to know the situation or score or nothing. Oh, I can give you a hint if you'd Brighton like. Us. Go on then. I'll well, I'll have a guess, and the two lads can have a hint then. Um, I'll say right. seventy-three. I will say it is before. Brighton, besides last week, have not beaten Liverpool in my lifetime. I was born in 95, so. Damn you, young bastard. Okay. Yeah, I know. I like how he uses every goddamn opportunity to plug that in, but uh, <laughs> go ahead, Big. Are you going to crack I at mean, this? I have absolutely no idea. I don't even know, like. They mentioned yeah, it during I, the game, but I was already pissed to listen to that. I don't even know, like, when they were last in the Prem League uh, before, like, the 2000. I don't no, um, I'll go. It can't be worse than seventy-three, can it? It can be any competition, not necessarily. Um, oh, so it's going to be like an FA Cup match or something, then, um, which was probably named something different when it happened. Um, I'll go. <laughs> I'll go. Like I'll go. I'll go eighty-three, which is probably there's no way that's right. Yeah, I'll go 80 in between these guys. Hopefully, I'll get it that oh, way. You got it. 1984. <laughs> oh. It was an FA Cup win, too. Nice. 2-0. <laughs> I'm just FYI. The FA Cup's the oldest uh, football competition in the world, so I, I think it's always been called the FA Cup. I, I could be so wrong too. on that, but it's definitely one of the oldest competitions. In- yeah, I think I, it's the other one that yeah, can see. Yeah, 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 like Carbro Cup or whatever. Yeah, Energy drink Carbro Carling Cup, whatever. With the bowl. I don't know. Carabao, <laughs> Carabao, something yeah. like that. Used to be the Coca Cola. Used to be, I don't know, what was it? Oh, who cares? The Carling. Tastes used like to be fucking the Carling. Garbage, Carling, yes. That's what... Don't drink the stuff. <laughs> it's nasty. <laughs> all right, and the other one is, and all of it looks like total history. Who is the um, highest scoring player off the bench? Ah, damn, I know the answer to this one, so I'll excuse myself out because I have well, not does, 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 does Paul get does, does Paul get to go first because he got closest, or do I have to go yes. first? Wait, so is it is first. it before like right. Prem era? Does that like include like the old you know, is it only Premier League era or is it prior to that as well? Uh it says on this article Premier League history. So. Oh god. Um Premier I have era. two things that are on the Two off the top of my head that I have to decide between. Do I go with the... I'll tell you guys what. I'll give you a point if you can get someone within the top five. So for me, it's either going to be somebody who's been in the Prem forever like Defoe, or it's going to be somebody who always scores off the bench like Giroud. Um, I'm going to go... I'll go Giroud. Okay. Spitchin, what's the answer? <laughs> um, oh, I, yeah, I was going to say, I know the answer. So I'm asking. No, yeah, it's just me and you, but I'm, 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 right. I was trying to whisper and be. Uh, so, what's the question? Who scored most off the bench in the Premier League era? Yep. And I'll let you guys just so that way there's no tie possible. Well, let's let's have two guesses. Paul, have another guess. I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm going to just me and you. I'm going to Giroud and Defoe. Those are my two. All right, I'll go um, 
I will go. Uh, Chicharito for uh, Man United and West Ham. Um, and I will go off the bench. Oh, it's a tough one. I don't know. I don't. I can't pick a second one. Um, I don't want to copy Paul. Uh, Spit one out. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll just copy Paul and go um, Defoe. So number one was Defoe. <laughs> oh, and Giroud was number two. I was no, trying shit. to. I was trying to give you a little bit of a chance, Jamie. <laughs> Uh, Make it a little more interesting by, you know, if you got a higher. I wonder where Chikorito is on the the list. Five, but he's definitely not top uh, five. Not even in the top ten. Defoe's gonna be number one just (laughs) because he was in the league for like thirty years with like half the table. Yeah, so (laughs) you have Defoe, Giroud. Oh wait, Javier Hernandez is Chicharito. Yeah, yeah. So Chicharito. Oh, so I got third. Yeah. Hey, that's. Ole, yeah, Ole. The, that's for me. Ole is pretty that's good. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Us two idiots got the top three. Quite honest. Yeah, that's. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. Actually, I'm gonna have to say, but I was actually shocked to see Chicharito on there. That's pretty darn good because he was not in the league for that long. But he. That's no. what. It, that's what his job was. Just coming off the bench and fucking scoring. Exactly. Yeah, he, was, he was on legs. fire. For, that's what we need from Diva. Yep. Damn it. He was on fire for like two years. <laughs> and that's yeah. about it. <laughs> Yeah. Well, very good. That was that was uh, that was one way to get my heart rate going in a positive fashion, rather than the City and Brighton game. Um, but yeah, uh, guys, I guess we can talk a little bit about the sort of feelings that are going around the club right now on FSG and team depth, and you know if if. If we could be bothered with Room 101 this week, which we won't be, because there's literally too much to throw into Room 101 this week, um, I fear it would start spitting back out at us. Um, yeah, let's let's talk a wee bit about the the ideas that are floating around. And, you know, I'm not even talking about the people who are saying, get Stevie Gerrard in and rest Allison for the next game. That Those sorts of hot takes can seriously stay in Room 101. But let's talk about... The idea that, you know, obviously the season uh, was congested anyway before we started. Um, no preseason, but let's talk about the team depth and the possibilities of getting a fourth centre back or, like we did, go for a left back cover and an extra guy in midfield because of the, the sort of genie contract discussions that have been going on since then. So let's let's take a step back, a uh, big deep breath, and... Ah, oh, Timuchin, what's what's your, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, but what's your feelings on on the whole issues that were are being batted around right now regarding team depth? So hindsight is twenty twenty, but mine is not hindsight because we talked about this when we were doing the podcast in summer. So we said when Lovren was sold, we said hopefully we'll get somebody as a replacement because we don't want to make the same mistake City did. And I know I'm going to hear, oh, it's not the same thing. They lost one guy, they lost three guys. Bottom line is we don't have freaking center backs. We counted on the fact that a midfielder can step in if need be. 
and we ended up with that a lot sooner than we probably thought. I mean, we were just, well, we kind of rolled the dice with it, and it kind of blew up. And I'm semi-okay with rolling the dice, whatever. I mean, with the COVID and stuff like that, I, okay. But I thought the, we kind of like doubled up on the mistake by not addressing it early in January and waited till the last day to address it. Because if we got somebody in early in January, ideally they will be able to, one or two of them will be able to play in a couple of weeks and we'll be able to get Henderson as at least out of that defensive line and get him in midfield where we sorely miss him. I mean, it's very clear that we miss him and no one can argue that it can't be a smart move to take your player of the year and put him in a total different position and expect nothing to freaking change. So that was like, to me, the biggest mistake. I mean, we rolled the dice on stuff before. We did not get a backup for Robertson for what? Two off seasons we talked about it. Didn't happen. We were like, hey, if something happens, Milner can't step in. And hey, we got lucky. Robertson never got injured. And a couple of times that, you know, he had a pull or he was tired of need to be rested or whatever, we plugged Milner back there. And it worked. But this one was a bigger risk. And it is unlucky. I mean, who the hell gets, you know, every single senior center back out and not only out, but out for the freaking year and so early in the season and, you know, in Gomez and Van Dyke's case. I understand that part. I thought it was kind of like a big risk and a dumb risk to take. Having just seen what happened to City, it was not the right risk to take. We did it and then we kind of doubled up on it in January and it is what it is where we are where we are at now. I just don't like this whole suddenly everybody who didn't like FSG all along but could not say shit because we were winning coming out of their holes now and saying, Oh, you know, FSG this and FSG that you were all, I mean, I literally discussed this with somebody online today. Why? I don't know. Cause literally wasted half an hour of my life. I'm never going to get back. But he was, he literally said at one point it was great while it was working. Okay. So you can't do that. You can't say it was great while it was working. <laughs> now it's not working. Let's pound on him. Hey, I mean, you know, Hey, my car was great when it was working. But now yeah, it's in a day. <laughs> you, you can't do that. Day. And you can't say, you know, they're the ones who brought in club. They're the ones who brought in all these players. So you got to give, if you're going to criticize, as, you know, I am now, I, I thought it was a dumb risk to take. Yeah, and it is their fault, and I'm sure they'll admit it. And if they had to redo it over again, I'm sure they're not going to do the same crap. But you got to still acknowledge all the positives they did. And kind of like what we were talking with Ellison earlier when we said, it's kind of to be too harsh on them based on the history. I feel like it's the same thing with FSG. Yeah. And you know, you're absolutely right. Like, but that's the nature of people, you know, when things are going great, everything's sunshine and lollipops. And then when it's going wrong, then it's, it's the world's worst nightmare. But, um, it's, it's just one of those things and it? It, it, people love bad news and they, they jump on it straight away. And, you know, at the time, I, I know the podcast you're talking about because I can vaguely still remember it where, where Billy Camutio was coming out on the scene and we were talking about him and we were talking about young Sepp and we were talking about all these other young kids that we've got. Nobody could have foreseen what the hell happened. And and Paul, you know, I, I dare say we'll never see that sort of thing again where <laughs> a team loses all their centre-backs. That's, that's unheard of. Yeah, no, I think uh, when we went into the season, we were looking, obviously, at a season um, largely of unknowns. I mean, I think what we did know is that there was going to be a substantial drop uh, in revenue for the club because of, obviously, no fans in the stadiums and the trickle-down effect that has. 
And so obviously the club had to be super conservative about what things they wanted to address. Right. So, I mean, I understand the approach. I mean, I agree with Tim Uchin that like, I think that we made a gamble and not bringing in extra center back help. Uh, and the gamble being that obviously we're offloading lever and we're going to depend on two center backs uh, in Matip and Gomez that both have pretty lengthy injury histories at this point. But I think where we doubled down on that gamble and saying that we can bring back a midfielder into our defense, if we have a crisis, right? Well, we had two crises and I don't think we counted on that because at some point when you looked at our midfield, not only were we out center backs, but we had Shaq, Nabby, Ox, um, all out at the same time. Um, you know, Milner was in. Yeah, we had like 12 at one time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we figured we got a stack midfield. If we need to move five back, we've got pieces. We brought in Tiago, you know, or, you know, Tiago uh, in to play. And so he's injured too. So, I mean, at this point, at one point we had all of our center backs down and five to six of our midfield out. Um, and so we kind of got screwed on both ends of it. And that's where it became, um, it became almost survival at that point, you know? Um, and that's not even getting into some of our attacking issues. So, I mean, I think that's, that's where it really is. I, you know, I'm with obviously with Timuchin where it's really frustrating to see us have a, uh, a sustained period of success that we haven't seen at the club um, since, you know, in decades. And then all these people climb back out and it's essentially scapegoatism at another level, right? Like if you can't, right. So, I mean, that's the simplified way. It's either yeah. the manager's fault or the owner's fault. And I don't think it's frustrating for me in general to see this conversation as if the ownership and Klopp are mutually exclusive ideas. Jurgen Klopp could have gone anywhere in the entire world that he wanted to go. He didn't go to Liverpool because he loved the city and the fans and hated the ownership and thought it'd be fine. I mean, he didn't go to work for FSG because he thought they're, you know, corporate greedy bastards and terrible owners. There was obviously enough in that conversation to hold his interest at a pretty high level. Otherwise he wouldn't have gone here. He wouldn't have come to this club. Um, and so I just think that there's like a real lack of common sense when it comes to that conversation um, in saying, you know, that, oh, if anything, Klopp's overachieved because, uh, you know, Liverpool have won because of Klopp in spite of FSG. That's laughable, man. Like, it's just it's it's delusional. Um, I think it's half rooted in, in, in fantasy. And I think there is I think there's an aspect of xenophobia in it. I think there's a large international fan base that doesn't like the idea that Liverpool is owned by a corporate American group. Well, I can certainly say for myself, that's bullshit for me. Um, no, that's not to say that you're, you're absolutely incorrect, but um, I'll just go ahead and state that fact right now, just in case anybody's wondering. Um, I, I, I would I, hate to, I would hate, I would hate to agree with you on that. Um, but it's hard I guess it's hard to argue the opposite. Um, yeah, it's a difficult one. Um, I don't really want to dip my toes in that one. Um, I know where I stand. I, it's, an, it's, an uncomfortable, it's an uncomfortable conversation, older, right? Older people. Yeah. Yeah, but... I mean, it, I mean think about I'm every World say, Cup. We hear Yanks go home. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like every look, single time. I've, look, I've, I've, I've had my fair share of... Um, being told to go back to where I come from. So I get it. Um, that's why I would never be one of those types of people. I am aware those types of people exist. Uh, it's just, 
I would like to think better of people, and I guess that's probably my naivety. But you know, moving on to other things, we can talk about. Actually, hold on. Let me. Can I say something before we kind of like go on to the other one? Because I think it's not necessarily part of the reason there there is resentment to FSG by some fans is not only because they're like an American group or whatever. I mean, that's part of it, I think, but it's because they kind of represent this, like the capitalist look. First of all, prior brutal American owners don't help the cause. But the second part is the fact that, you know, there's still some people, and like I say, I was in this discussion online on Facebook for much longer <laughs> than I would have known that I look back at it. I mean, some people really still think that, the team can stay small, local, socialist, and still be able to compete in the global market against big teams who are actually, you know, thinking of finances as well. You know, they're, you know, the Madrids, Barcelona's, you know, Bayern, you, you, you name it. And, you know, and unless you, you're either going to have a smart business that's going to make smart business decisions, kind of like FSG has done and built a team through those decisions. And here's the thing, you know, like Victor was talking about Klopp choosing, you know, FSG and Liverpool. I would argue goes the same way around. We knew when we got Klopp what his strength was, and FSG knew that. FSG would not hire Pep because Pep went with, you know, okay, we'll get these two big names I want. I'll develop these parts to put a team together. So they went after Klopp knowing that's his strength is to be able to create some super concepts uh, as opposed to, you know, like just signing a bunch of like superstars or spending a ton of money, you know, seeing who sticks kind of like, you know, how City put together a defense, like spending like billions. But I mean, my thing is, I think most fans are still delusional in the concept that they want to keep the club local, but be able to still compete global and they look at fsg and they say this oh it's business they're only in it for the money yes they are everybody who owns a club is in it for either the money or you got some oil money and you're just owning it for your ego you know to win some stuff and do some other thing nobody's doing this as a non-profit just for fun oh it's for the fans that stuff is over i mean if you want to do that go find an amateur club in your neighborhood and go to their games and root for them. But there's a reason why it's called professional sports. It's all bottom line. It's all money. I mean, it's in FSG's interest for Liverpool to do well so that their value goes up, they sell more, whatever, all the money comes in. So there is an incentive for them to make a successful club. But I just don't understand this whole concept of, and I think, you know, like keeping it small, local, uh, it's not all about money and stuff like that. It is. Because if you want Van Dyke, if you want all these guys, you're going to spend money. I love the people who want to keep it local, but when I have Mape come in so we can have more come off the bench or some shit, you know, we're going to have some kind of a team like that where we're going to throw around money. So, but I think, you know, a lot of the resentment comes from that as well to FSG. And these people did not like FSG all these times, but they had to stay quiet for four years when things were going really well. And heck, a month of things not going well was enough for everybody to come out and start complaining. And I mean, I, I assume those two things go hand in hand, you know, those, those sorts of small-minded people. You know, we're talking about a very small minority here, I would imagine. Uh, those people who would... Mm, want, are we, though? <laughs> I would like to believe that, yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I guess, you know, a lot of people are like that, though. You know, 
it's not for me to to say whether um, th- those small-minded uh, bigots are are in a larger um, probability. But yeah, I, I don't know uh, th- that sort of xenophobia towards uh, anti-American and anti-progressive um, ownership. It, it's it's hard to take. It's um, it's certainly not what we want to see from our fellow Reds. Um, but like we've all said, you know, there's plenty. But to I talk- think it's more that I mean, I'm not saying like people who just hate Americans. I'm talking more about who people who do not understand or respect the concept that this is a freaking business at the end of the day. And those people, like you know, why are they not spending money? Why are they not doing this and stuff? And not understanding, you know, how all this stuff works. I'm not talking, you know, about people who just would hate an American regardless. I mean, I'm not that kind of talking to people like you're saying the money. But all the comments or maybe like the newer fans who are more using, it's more not understanding that at the end of the day, this is a business for them. And certainly one fan that does understand what it means is Rebecca Tavares. Fabinho's wife, did you see her tweet? Uh, it was something else. The, the lady is absolute class. She's been, at, she's been involved with the club, what, all of 12, 14, 15 months, and, and she gets it immediately. But, um, you know, Parker, she, have you, you seen the tweet? I'd imagine, yeah, Rebecca Tavares is Fabinho's wife tweet. Yeah, I'm trying to pull it up she's, right now. Uh, she's brilliant. Um, so we can link all these things in, in the description. The... Um, the Ken Kendra piece and the Paul Tompkins on Tompkins Times, uh, like Roy Keane, are you too simple to understand Liverpool's situation? And, and he talks about all of these situations we've talked about, every single one we've talked about. It's a really in-depth article, um, at least a 30-minute read. Um, but he talks about literally everything we've talked about on this podcast, even down to the, to the FSG and um, the FSG outcrowd and all this sort of stuff. So it, it really is well worth a read. Um, but, you know, all in all, with all of this said and done, all the FSG people who are, who are crawling out of the, the woodwork, and they may be uh, larger in numbers than some of us would like to imagine. Um, and in a way, I'm, I'm kind of... I'm not happy. I wouldn't be happy, obviously, but it, 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 it takes these dark times for people to show their true colours and... You know, I, I would rather have them show their true colors now than they, they wouldn't do it when, when when we're all singing and all winning. So, you know, this is a, a good way to, to teach new fans that in order to be a Liverpool fan, you have to have a, a you, you're made of sterner stuff. You have to go through these hard times to, to taste the joy, you know, and, and that's what the whole song You'll Never Walk Alone is about. And Rebecca Tavares really encapsulated that in her tweet. Yeah, I have, I have it pulled up here. Uh, so she first per- did hashtag YNWA heart emoji and then the little muscle flex emoji. Um, one person comments, not now, Rebecca. And she responds, why not? You'll never walk alone only works when they win. You must understand that you'll never walk alone is for all circumstances, winning or losing. And believe me, they need it more now. Precisely. And, you know, if that one tweet doesn't encapsulate what we're all trying to get across here you know all these people whatever backgrounds you come from whatever ideas you hold the fact is we're all in this together and yes it's only sport at the end of the day however you know there's there's a much bigger family feeling to do with this club so let's get together you know obviously we can't so let's 
let's get together uh, emotionally rather than physically and uh, and back our boys, you know, back back them to the hilt because we may not win the league. Fuck it. We may not win the league. <laughs> a lot of people are laughing at us and saying, oh, you're never going to win the league for 30 years again. That's bullshit. This team is a team of winners, a team of champions. We still have the champions badge on our arms. We're still the champions until the day they take it away. So let's act like champions. And, you know, when you see idiots like this saying clop out and all the rest, tell them to, to get together. Instead of instead of fighting against each other, let's let's fight against everybody else. Get that tough skin on your back and, and let's bring it to everybody else, you know? That's 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 my takeaway from it, you know. And 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 I get there's a lot of people out there with a lot of problems right now. And it's it's a difficult time. And maybe sometimes they're taking it out on social media. And again, that goes back to the, the toxic hot take that we're talking about. You know, it's not uh it's not all doom and gloom at the end of the day. There's much worse things out there than Liverpool losing a couple of games and maybe not winning the Premier League this season. And I think, you know, some of those reasons are so clear that it shouldn't be... I mean, I find the frustration... I do not I do not get some of the frustration. I mean, you don't have any healthy centre-backs that were, like, supposed to be your starters. Everything is shuffled. There's going to be a drop-off. I mean, it's... goes. I mean, yeah, we always want to win, but, I mean, shit. I mean, if you cannot see how things went wrong or what some of the issues are and what the causes. I mean, kind of like, you know, like the Tompkins article says, it's like, I, I don't know what to tell you. You don't know what you're watching or, you know, what you're looking at. I mean, it's not, if this happens, I know middle of like last season when we were going on a crazy run and suddenly we couldn't do anything, you'd be like, Hey, what the hell is going on? But I feel like what's going on is very clear. So I do not understand the overreaction. I just think I a lot see. of people see, Oh, we have, Firmino, Salah, and Money up there. Why can't we score? Do you know what I mean? Like people, people look surface yeah. level. They don't understand, like you know, that the entire system of playing it out of the back and playing a high line, you know, is is completely gone you know, without a spine. And we essentially are a team without a spine right now. Yeah, good point. But I, I would also say, Paul, that you know, um, the days of a dynasty are kind of past. You know, it, it's. It's not as easy as it would be for, let's say, you know, the, the United of old or, or maybe an NFL. I, I don't know. I'm not a big uh, American football guy, but, I, you know, it's, it's very hard to get a dynasty in any sort of sport because it's constantly changing. Everybody's constantly up against each other to do better. And especially when, when money's involved, you know, when a couple of teams with money are involved, then the pressure gets tenfold to, to perform to their levels because they've got a seemingly never-ending checkbook. You know, it, it's, it's, it's a very hard thing to, to even contemplate having a dynasty. Liverpool had one. You know, we talked at the, at the start of the pod from this is the first time we've lost three home games back-to-back-to-back since 63. You know, Bill Shankly took over then and won the, his first league title with Liverpool in 63. And we pretty much dominated football up until the 90s, up until... After Hillsborough, we fucking dominated football for decades, you know? So it, it's not as easy as it was back then. Yeah, for sure. And I think you're right. I mean, people don't understand how hard it is to repeat. Like, you know, you had City do it. And then before City, it was another 10 years before you had somebody do it. And it's only going to get harder, you know, with modern football and, and the way that that works for sure. You got to get Tom Brady, man. Pass. <laughs> <laughs> 
That was a quick pass. Get him in like that Detroit's. was a quick pass. Get him on the Lions, man. That could be the key for you, Bicker. Hard, hard, <laughs> hard pass on Tom Brady. <laughs> but, you know, all jokes aside, folks, go out there, talk to your fellow Reds, love them, hug them if you can, if they're in your family tree. Uh, un- unfortunately, Timuchin has a-, a Manchester United fan in his family tree, so just think about that for a second, you know? <laughs> <laughs> It could be worse, folks. It could always be worse. But um, lads, Parker, Paul, Timuchin, if, if we've got anything else to add, now would be the time, and then we can all say our goodbyes, and we will talk to the listeners next week. And like I said, give your fellow Liverpool fans a, a virtual hug if you can, and we'll all stick together behind our men. You'll never walk alone. As always, turn on, tune in, and cop out with us at America Scouser. If you're in need of any more stuff, head on over to americascouser.com. We've got you covered. We've got our man Paul Bickler. We've got our man Hesh on the, on the articles. So plenty of blogs to keep you there. And we will link in the comments section all the articles we've talked about today, Ken Kendra and Tompkins Times. So, folks, without further ado, we're going to love yous and leave yous. You'll never walk alone. <laughs>